morning, everybody. So glad you're here. I want to say hello to those that are online. Uh, thank you for finding time to put aside to join us in worship. Whether it's here on Sunday morning or later on in the week when you see this, uh, whatever time of the day or night, it's just an honor that you would choose to worship with us from a distance and where, near or far. Just, just thank, thank you, thank you, thank you so much. And those that are in the house that are new, uh, really glad that you're here. Uh, you come at a great time in the life of the church. Christmas is an exciting time. We have a lot going on. And I'm going to invite you to go ahead and open up your Bibles and get your nose squared away. And then we're going to have a little bit of a family meeting, online, in the house, family meeting. And if you're new here this morning, or you don't yet call this your church home, uh, you're welcome to join us in this little family meeting, a little short little conversation. Or you're also welcome to work on your Christmas list. Uh, in fact, you can even go shopping on your phone right now if you want to. That's okay. It doesn't bother me. Uh, but, or, you know, you can kind of join us in this. You are welcome, more than welcome to be a part of this conversation. And here's the first thing I want to say to you, uh, and this is to everybody. Here, co- coming up this week, I know people have different feelings about Santa Claus. But I got to tell you, I love Santa Claus. And we put a call into Santa Claus, and Santa Claus is coming to your church three three times over the next two weeks. And I I just think it's a wonderful opportunity for you to invite some of your unchurched friends, people who don't know Jesus, who just never been in a church or had a bad experience at church, and for you to invite them to come and let their kids have an encounter with Santa Claus here uh, in the the fellowship hall, I mean, out here in the the crossing. And it's going to be an awesome family fun experience. And who knows, who knows, that might be just the next step, a step toward them coming or somehow experiencing the love of Jesus. So I want to invite you to do that, encourage you to do that. That's number one. Here's number two. Uh, some of you know, some of you may not know, uh, last Sunday night, uh, after I dedicated the message uh, to my dad, uh, my dad died last Sunday night at 9.30 in the evening, and you have been so kind to my family. We have received so many cards, so many texts, uh, so many flowers, uh, so many hugs, uh, so much encouragement, just so much love, and it's been overwhelming to be on the receiving end of it. And I just had to really say thank you. I, I really wish all of you had had a, had a chance to really know my dad. Everything I learned about being a husband, about being a dad, about being a grandfather, about being a pastor, I learned from my dad. All of it. There's nothing that I do that I did not learn somehow something from my dad. And I just wish you would have known him. I really do. He was on staff here for some 20 years. Some of you did have encounters with him. And he changed your life because he sat down with you and had a very critical, important conversation. Some of you, you just met him and you didn't even know it was my dad. But I promise you this, if you met him, you felt welcomed because he realized that everybody was imperfect and everybody was welcome. And he he just had the joy to just welcome people. But again, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you uh, for loving and caring for our family. Number three, here's the final thing for our little family meeting. Uh, We're coming to the end of 2022. It's happening fast. It will be here before you know it. 
And as I've been praying and reflecting and looking back at 2022, I'm amazed how God has used you, how used you in the midst of COVID, in the midst of political and national division and all this hostility, in the midst of inflation, God has used you in some amazing ways. In this past year, 94 people have come forward, professed their faith in Jesus, and received the sacrament of baptism. 192 have come to make this their, their church home, and 33 have dedicated their children, children have been dedicated or baptized in the name of the Lord. And every weekend, there are hundreds of kids right now back there in the neighborhood that are learning, they are valued and they are important, they are loved because you choose to make that happen. And every Wednesday night, we have on average about 305 students plus adults. And those kids are worshiping God, they're studying God's word, uh, they are serving, they're making friends in incredible ways. And they too are discovering that they are valued and they are important and they are loved. We have two seminary students who are about to graduate. Uh, They'll graduate here in May. Uh, We have another one who will graduate in 18 months. Yep. We have another one who just started seminary in, 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 in September and another one who's starting in January. I mean, they just keep on coming. It is amazing. This year, we have hosted 26 outside groups in this building. People who are not connected to this church in any way, people who come into this church not knowing it's a church, but when they get here, they can't, I can't believe it. Who knows how many of them will come to know Jesus because of their first experience, they didn't know church could be this way when they came for a community event. You have hosted 26 funerals, 28 funerals. So many people come to this church because of what they experienced in a funeral. You have no idea the number. Maybe some of you were the ones who had that experience. Your session, you need to know this, is having two high-level conversations right now. Number one is, how do we upgrade our children's facility? God just continues to bring more kids into our midst, and we got to expand throughout the building more room for the children and improve the quality of the facilities because it's all about the kids. You want the kids early to come to know about God's love. Train up a child in the way they will go, and they will not turn away from it as they get old, or they will come back if they leave. Secondly, your session is just aggressively, assertively, would be a better word, working on a plan to facilitate the development of the emerging leaders in your church, especially on our staff, so that we have a plan going forward so these old fogies like me, when we die off or we're put out to pasture, that you have these young folks that are ready to lead Pathway Church into an incredible, wonderful future that God has in store. This past year, we have invested from your birthday gift to Jesus to provide food and shelter for people nationally, globally, right here in our local area. We also have been been partnering with foster care agencies, people who especially care for children, not just here locally, but also in Nicaragua and Mexico, to make sure as many kids as we can, they know they are valued and they are important and they are loved by God. We have people who worship with us online 
not just here locally, but in Oklahoma, in Arkansas, uh, in Alaska, in Ohio, in Florida, some even in international. And some of them live in little pockets. We feel like God might be calling us to start a satellite church or at least a home group church in that area. And not only that, we have had churches in Oklahoma and Texas who have reached out to us over the past couple of years just having conversations to see if we might be open to partnering with them in ministry where they would actually become a satellite of Pathway Church at some point in the future. Now, why am I sharing all this with you? Here's the point. Your church is not in maintenance mode. We're just not trying to get by from Sunday to Sunday. We are trying, as the body of Christ, trying to kind of roll back, to stem back that weight of secularism and wokeism that's sweeping across our nation and across the world. And we believe we'll be part of the solution, and the solution is foundational understanding of who God is through Jesus Christ. And as we approach the end of this year, I just want to remind you that your year-end giving is really important. We understand that you have been greatly impacted by inflation. Everybody has. But I want you to know the church that you love has also been impacted by inflation. In fact, as we approach the end of the year, we're probably about 150,000 150, down from where we need to be to wind up where we need to be at the end of the year. And we just want everyone to know the blessing of tithing. That is the blessing of just having embedded in your life the practice of the very first 10% that God gives to you. You just automatically, without thinking, it's a way of life, you give it back to God. And there's a blessing in that when you do that. We want everyone to know that blessing. And I know that some of you, even in a very down year in our economy, God has blessed you greatly. And you're thinking about the year end. You're thinking about generosity, where you're going to be generous. And I'm just asking you, consider your church as one of those places. Because God is opening these doors of spiritual opportunity. And we want to be able to walk through them boldly to be a part of the solution that's in the world. And that every gift you give is so critical. So I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for your generosity. Thank you, thank you, thank you for all you do. Your time, your energy, your finances. And I want you to know that we really believe that God has positioned Pathway Church, your church, to make a huge difference in this world. And just please keep that in mind as we move forward into 2023. In the meeting, let's have a prayer. God, we thank you for how you have so generously poured out your life and your spirit into us. We just thank you for the great love we've experienced through your son Jesus. For his time upon this earth, but also God for his resurrection and the outpouring upon your spirit. And so now, God, as we open up your word, we pray, God, that you would open up the scriptures before us, make them come alive. This old, old story, make it come alive again in a fresh way. And that you would touch someone and give them the strength and courage they need to move forward with their lives. I ask you to do this in Jesus' name. Amen. We're in a series leading up to Christmas where we're looking at this little prayer called the Serenity Prayer. I am choosing to begin every morning, the first thing I do is by praying this prayer, the whole thing. 
It's the last thing I do every night before I go to bed. I'm memorizing it, and I'm challenging some of you to consider doing the exact same thing. We're going to say together the first part of the prayer that most of you know. We're going to put it on the screen. If you would, say it with me. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Now, last week, we talked about the importance of accepting things that I cannot change. And so all week long, I hope you've been doing that. God, give me the serenity to accept that which I cannot change, like long lines in the store, slow-moving traffic, the economy, my age. God, give me the serenity to accept that I cannot change my past. God, give me the serenity to accept that I cannot change the people that I want to control. God, please give me the strength to accept that I cannot change the effect of the reality of my father's death. God, give me the courage to accept the reality of those things that I cannot change. Next week, God, give me the wisdom to know the difference between what I can change and what I cannot change. Hope you'll, meet, hope you'll be here. Hope you will not miss that. But this weekend, we're going to begin with a question with what our focus is this morning. In your notes, number one, where do I need the courage to change something that God is calling me to change? Now, it's fascinating to me when you look at the Christmas story that the most frequent command that God gives the characters in the Christmas story has to do with courage. God loves to speak courage into his people. In Luke chapter 1, at the beginning of the story, when Zechariah and Elizabeth become aware that they're going to give birth to a child whose name will be John the Baptist, an angel shows up in verse 13 because they were filled with fear, and the angel says, do not be afraid. In the same chapter, Luke chapter 1, when the angel shows up to Mary to tell her, that you are going to be with child and you're going to give birth to a baby and you're a virgin and God is going to be the father. And the angel says to her in verse 30, do not be afraid. In Luke chapter 2, when the shepherds are out in the field and the angels show up in this great big glory of light, the very first thing the angel says to them, do not be afraid. Now I just wonder, why is it? When the angel shows up, the word that everyone hears is, don't be afraid. Why is that? I think in large part, it's because you and I have a non-biblical understanding or belief of what angels are like. We think that they are like these little beautiful, little white, wispy little things with angels and halos, and they kind of fly around and sit on clouds, and they have little harps, and they play these little lullabies that make everything calm, all is calm, and make you go to sleep or your children. And that is not the way the Bible presents the angels. Every encounter with an angel is a sobering experience in the Bible. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. In Scripture, the visitation of angels was always alarming. It has to begin by saying, fear not. The Victorian angel looks as if it was going to say, there, there, it's going to be okay. 
which is what some of us have bought into. Yeah, if you're a follower of Jesus, get ready. Because God is going to come to you and put a call upon your life. And God is going to ask you to do something. Or God is going to ask you to change something about you. And there are only two responses. The first response is no. And I hear this response in so many ways from people. No, not going to do it. The second response is yes. In your notes, number two, the road to no is marked by fear. The road to yes is marked by courage. The life that you live depends on the road that you choose. How your life turns out at the end depends on the roads you choose right now. And you get to choose. It's your little kingdom, you choose. Now, we see in all the characters of the Christmas story this battle between fear and courage. But in nowhere do we see this battle like we do in the person of Joseph. In Matthew chapter 1, Moses, Joseph finds out that this woman he's going to marry is pregnant. And here's how the scripture says it. Verse 19, because Joseph, her husband, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to this woman, to the law, and yet he did not want to expose her to public disgrace. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. For anybody, I don't care who you are, getting married is a sobering commitment that requires courage. Not only does it require courage to get married, it requires, in some seasons, even more courage to stay married. Courage is required. I remember my dad telling this story so many times. My dad was 22, my mom was 15, and he was going to ask her to marry him. So he goes and he asks, and she says, yes, but you got to go ask my, my father. And so my dad has to go talk to my papaw, my mom's dad. And he knows my dad's coming. And so he leaves town. <laughs> because he didn't want to deal with the issue. He didn't want to say yes. And so he leaves town and he goes somewhere out near Granbury in this little pasture with a 22 to go squirrel hunting. And my dad goes to look for him. And my dad knows where he is. And my dad finds him in that field, and my, my grandfather has a 22 rifle. And as soon as he sees my dad, he just turns around and looks at him, and the rifle is pointing right at him. That's a sobering moment with the rifle pointed at you and going to ask him, can I marry your daughter? It's a long story. I'll stop there. He did it. I, I remember 44 years ago when I decided it was time to propose to Dallas to ask her to marry me. 
vividly. It was a Sunday afternoon in the fall. We're sitting on an apartment, sitting in my apartment on a couch. I'm watching a football game. She's working on her accounting homework. She's still uh, working on her undergrad degree. And I leaned over during the commercial. I know, I'm so romantic, I know, I know. And so I leaned over in the commercial and I was gonna pop the question and all of a sudden I became aware, I felt this fear. I go, what if she says no? I hadn't thought about that. She might say no. We'd only known each other two months. I thought, she might say no. And then I thought, she might say yes. We've only known each other two months. Does she really know me? Do I really know her? What if I change? What if she changes? What if it doesn't turn out to be perfect? Getting married, among many other things, requires courage. But for Joseph, it was courage on a whole different level. The scripture tells us Joseph was a righteous man. He was a holy man. And if he chose to do what God asked him to do, to marry this woman who was already pregnant, and he knows he's not the dad, he would lose his status as a righteous man. He would lose his identity. He would be setting himself up for all sorts of trouble from the community down the road. But the angel comes to him and says these these four little powerful words at the very beginning in verse 20. He says, Joseph, son of David. First of all, Joseph. Joseph. Now, some of you know Joseph was a character, a hero in the Old Testament. His brothers sold him into slavery. Later on, his employer put him in prison for the false accusation of some sort of uh, sexual misconduct of some kind or to someone. And in spite of that situation, the disparity and the unfairness that he could not control or change, he said yes to God. He said yes to courage. And because he said yes to courage, to be obedient to God, God used him to save his family from famine. And not only his own family, but a whole nation from famine. Because one man said yes in a situation he couldn't change. Then he says, Joseph, son of David. David, son of David. This little boy that was a shepherd whose job was to protect these sheep from the lions and the bears and all the critters who wanted to gobble them up. This little boy, a shepherd, who went out and was asked to call a God to fight a giant whose name was Goliath. This little boy who had to stand up in defiance against King Saul who wanted to kill him, who God puts on the throne that the scriptures say was the greatest king in the history of Israel. And some people would say the greatest king ever on the face of the earth as far as a leader goes. 
And now God says to Joseph, this little man who has this woman, that he is afraid to take of his wife. And he says, Joseph, son of David, don't you be afraid. You have an identity. You are somebody. I put you here for a reason. You choose the road of yes. Choose courage. And I believe this morning, God wants to say someone here in this room or online, you are a daughter, you are a child of God. You are a prince or a princess of the king. And I got something for you to do with your life. And it's more than you just existing from Sunday to Monday to Tuesday to Wednesday to Thursday to Friday. And you may be afraid, but you choose yes. You choose courage because I'm with you. Joseph, you marry that woman. Joseph, you raise that kid that's like your own. And I promise you, Joseph, you're going to be on an adventure with me that will change your life in generations forever. Don't you be afraid. You be courageous. I think it's a fascinating right here in this story that we're told that Joseph had been anxiously considering, the scripture says, considering I'm not showing up for the wedding. I'm not going to take this girl. It says after he had considered, the angel shows up. And it got to be asking, why did the angel wait to show up after Joseph was all worked up and excited? Why didn't the angel show up before? Why didn't the angel just show up and say, hey, listen, Joseph, I want you to know, Mary, she didn't sleep with any other man. Why didn't he show up and say beforehand, hey, Joseph, God is up to something here. Why? I think I know why. God knew that for the rest of his life that Joseph would face risk and fear and uncertainty and the unknown his entire life. And he would need courage. In your notes, number three, courage is doing what God wants me to do in the presence of fear. We think courage means not having fear, feeling fear. We think courageous people are people who are not afraid. No, 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 no. That is not true. The only people who experience or need courage are people who feel Fear. And here's what I know about God. G.K. Chesterton puts it this way. Let's go ahead and put this code up here. Courage is a strong desire to live, taking the form of a readiness to die. Courage is doing what God wants you to do, change what he wants you to change, even though you are afraid. And as long as you live, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, please hear this. He will lead you into a situation where you're going to be at risk. He's going to lead you into a situation where you're going to be afraid. But you choose courage. And when you choose courage, you're going to grow. And after you grow, God is going to lead you again into another situation where you're at risk. He's going to lead you again into a situation where you don't know what's going to happen. And when you choose courage, you're going to grow again. 
for the rest of your life, you will never stop being led by God into places where you were at risk and unknown and fears involved, where you must choose courage if you're a follower of Jesus Christ. In your notes, number four, every time I grow, it will be because I faced new fears. Aren't you excited? You are a child of God. Some of you believe in God, but you will not grow in courage listening to me or anyone talk about courage. You will only grow in courage if you trust, if you trust that your father knows more about your life than you do and you are obedient to the call he has upon your life to do what he asks you to do and to change what he asks you to change. So it is with Joseph. He says, yes. He takes Mary into his home. He begins to raise Jesus. And you would think, that he's on his way to the good life. Because that's what you think, right? Say yes to Jesus. Start following, doing what he asks. Everything's going to turn out roses. Right? Wrong. Matthew chapter 2, verse 13. When they had gone, when they had moved along, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. I want you to imagine what Joseph is feeling. Imagine you're the parent, and someone calls you and tells you, the most powerful man in the world who has all his resources at his fingertips is looking for you to find your kid, and now he's going to take that kid out. What do you think you'd be feeling? What would you do? Joseph packs up and he leaves. He listens to the angel. And they go and they live in Egypt. And then after a couple of years, he gets this word that Herod has died. So right here in verse 22, but when he had heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in place of his father Herod, he was, here it comes again, he was afraid to go there. See, just if you're a follower of God, a follower of Jesus Christ, you're always going to be led in situations of fear and just, and Joseph knew that, risk and danger. And he knew what every parent knows. Raising a kid is a huge responsibility and there's fear. Every parent knows that. I remember when our first kid was born and I loved this boy and I was so excited about it. And until we left the hospital and we left the hospital, all of a sudden I felt this big, huge hunk of responsibility and fear for this little blob of flesh. And it was all dependent on what I did, on how they turn out. Anybody ever felt that besides me? And I thought, what if I mess up? What if Dallas messes up? I mean, holy mackerel, this is on me. I, when our kids were growing up, uh, Dallas and I told them, hey, we're going to save money. And you can choose to use this money however you want to. You can go to college or you can choose therapy. <laughs> I mean, we just knew. 
We're the parents. You're going to need one of the two. Well, they chose college because they knew their papa would give them free therapy because uh, he was off. So they got the best of both worlds. But can, can you imagine the pressure that Joseph felt to be the father of the Messiah, the sinless son of God? I mean, he's thinking, what if I say a bad word and he hears me? What if the sinless son of God hears me cuss? What if I get angry? What if I blow it? I, just, I can imagine you have Joseph and Jesus in the carpentry shop together. And Joseph accidentally hits his thumb and he goes, it hurts so bad. He goes, oh, Jesus. And he goes, what, Father? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, 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 nothing, son, nothing, son. I just want to see how you're doing with that end table I got over there. Can you imagine the pressure that he felt? You know, I think it's fascinating when you read the scriptures. That Joseph is the only person in the, care, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the Christmas story that doesn't talk. Mary talks. Elizabeth talks. The shepherds even get to talk. There's no line in the Bible of Joseph ever talking. I wonder if it's because he was just quiet or shy. Maybe he was like a lot of the men in this room. You just don't have much to say, so you don't say it. Or you don't know how to say it. But let me tell you something about Joseph. Even though he doesn't speak in the Bible, he does what God asked him to do, even when he was afraid. He led his family in the ways of God. And he did it because from the very beginning, he knew something. At the very end of that passage in verse 20, he said, you take Mary as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. In other words, Jesus is with you already. Be bold and courageous. In your notes, uh, finally, five, I could be courageous because Jesus is with me. Jesus is with you too. Don't be afraid. He is with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Be courageous. Do what he says. Now, I wanted to inspire you this morning. We have just time for me to do this, then we're going to wrap it up. I want to show you quickly. Quickly, it's going to see a six-minute little clip. I'm going to tell you that I'm going to come back and wrap it up of a man who had the courage to change what he needed to change. But there's a God story behind it. This thing went viral years ago. I saved it for the right occasion. This is the right occasion. Enjoy this little clip. The courage to change what I, only I can change. In 2010, my doctor told me to buy a funeral plot because I would need one within the next five years. But I'm still here because a shelter dog saved my life. When people see a photo of who I was five years ago, they, they can't and often don't believe that it's me. My weight had crept up to 340 pounds. 
My blood pressure was through the roof, super high cholesterol. I had type two diabetes and I was taking over a thousand dollars worth of medications a month. And I just felt really uncomfortable around other people. I became separated from society and I just stopped living. I went on a business trip. You know how small airplane seats are. I could barely squeeze into one and basically I'd spill over both uh, sides. They had to delay the flight because they didn't have a seatbelt extension that would fit me. There was a gentleman next to me and he just looked in complete disgust and he looked at me and he goes, I'm gonna miss my connection because you're too fat. That really was my, uh, my bottom point. That's the point that I, I really decided that, you know, I'm either gonna die or I have to do something. I looked in the phone book and I found a nutritionist near me. One of the first things that she asked me to do was to go adopt a shelter dog. It would force me to go outside. It would force me to become more socially interactive. So I, I went to the local shelter. And I remember telling the lady, I would like a, an obese middle-aged dog so that I would have something in common with him. And when I walked into the room, we both looked at each other with like a look of, really? I took him home that night. Neither of us knew what to expect. And over a period of time, we really formed an inseparable bond and one that I'd never really experienced with another person or animal or anybody. We began walking for at least a half an hour a day, every day, and over the course of a year, just by changing what I ate and walking with Petey, I lost about 140 plus pounds. Everything about my life improved. I got off all meds. I, I no longer have type two diabetes. Petey also lost about 25 pounds, so we did it together. It was like a miracle. There you go, ooh, I Petey. So I read over Petey's paperwork when I adopted him, and it turns out that he was left alone in a backyard, and uh, nobody played with him. He'd had arthritis and all kinds of rashes, and his skin was just itching all the time. He was wondering what would ever happen to him. He'd gone from being in a situation like I was, where he didn't have any friends, and he didn't know anybody, and really became a proud dog. Petey ready for the next stop? Petey's a good boy. Beyond unconditional love. Yum, peanut butter. Petey taught me absolute loyalty. He looked at me in every sense as though I was the greatest person on the planet. I decided that I wanted to be the person who he thought I was. One of the things that I dreamed of doing was running a, a full marathon. And he looked at me like, you can do it. And I went out and I did it. This entire process brought me out of my shell and made me a different person. I knew that he was getting old and his time was coming. They discovered a really large cancerous growth on his spleen and there was really nothing that they could do. I knew that he was gonna die. I uh, just laid with him on the floor. He just looked at me and I could tell that the life had just passed out of him. And that was the end. And I just sat there and I held him. I loved him so much. 
I just was so sad and, you know, I'm still not over it. About six months later, after a, a race, suddenly just came into my mind, just drive over to the shelter right now. And I did. There was a dog that had been put in the adoption pen four minutes earlier. His photo wasn't on the wall. He wasn't on the website. And I just looked at him and he looked at me and he went, it was like, dude, let's get out of here. <laughs> Jake is a completely different dog. Jake loves to play and we started training and he now runs 10 mile distances with me and we're gonna do our, our first half marathon together. He's the best running buddy I could possibly have. So really, thanks to Petey, I wake up every day wanting to be the best person that I can possibly be. He completely transformed me into a different person. I think about it now, who rescued whom? I mean, did I rescue him or did he rescue me? When he went home that night after being on that plane, well, that person said, you're so fat, I'm going to miss my connecting flight. Eric goes home that night, and he prays for the very first time ever to God, and he says, God, will you please kill me? Will you please take my life? He was so full of self-loathing. Immediately, he said, after offering that prayer, his first prayer ever, he felt the intense presence of God in his life. He woke up the next morning and he thought, I need to get a Bible. He had never read the Bible. He had never prayed. He had never been to church. He gets the Bible. He reads it from front to back in just a couple of months. When he gets to Revelation and he finishes the book of Revelation, he again felt the intense presence of God. And he stopped on his knees in his apartment and surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And it was days after being baptized, he felt compelled, I need to go get a shelter dog. And you saw the rest of the story of how it transformed his life. And not only that, this, viral, this video went viral. When he was in high school, there was a woman that he dated, only woman he ever dated, only girl he ever dated, who saw the video. 40 years later, and she saw him and recognized him, and they reconnected, and today they're married, and they both have a full, flourishing life. Do you see what God will do when you have the courage to do what God asks you to do? Let me ask you again. What is it you need to face about you? that is true, that you don't want to face, that you need to change. For Eric, it was his health. It was his obesity. It was his diabetes. For Joseph, it was not to be afraid of doing what God asked him to do. What about you? What about you? Maybe it is your health. Maybe it is some habit you have that owns you. I mean, you know it, it owns you. It drives you. 
Maybe it's some stinking thinking you have in your head. Eric had to get rid of that thought of that guy who said, you know what, man? You're so fat. You're so fat. He had to get that out of his head and not, maybe that's what you got to change, your stinking thinking. Maybe that's it. I don't know. Maybe you think about your family and you wish he would change or she would change or they would change. Those kids would change. But you got to get honest. You can't change them. God, give me the strength to to encourage to change me. I don't know what it is. But I find it interesting, that story. One part I loved about that story the most is when Eric looked at Petey and Petey looked at Eric. And Eric said, you know what? I just want to be the man my dog believes and wants me to be. I just love that line. I want you to notice that no human being ever says to their cat, I just want to be the person my cat wants me to be. Nobody says that. Nobody's ever said that because cats are evil. And they think you're evil. But here's what I know. Here's what I know. Everybody needs somebody to look at them and say, I believe in you. You got this. I'm never going to leave you. Be courageous. I love you. And that person is God. Unconditionally, unapologetically, he wants to say that to you. I don't know what you need to face about you. I don't know what you need to change, but here's what I do know. Our God is in the courage providing business. All you got to do is ask and say yes. So I was going to just get a place there. Just what has God said to you this morning? What do you need to change about you? What, what kind of courage do you need to make the change that you know you need to make? What is God asking you to do? Maybe it has to do with how you prioritize your time. Maybe it's about prioritizing your money. Maybe it's about how, how you look at your family. Always complaining and blaming them and her and her. Maybe it's that habit. Maybe it's that nicotine habit. Maybe it's that compulsive thing that just, and you need help with it. I mean, you got to have the courage to ask somebody for help. Or maybe it's just the courage to fall on your knees and say, God, I've just put my life in your hands. You've been tugging at me. You've been pulling at me. And I just keep on saying no because I'm afraid. But this morning, I choose the road to yes and the road of courage. And I place my life in your hands. Whatever it is, God grant us the surrender to accept what we cannot change. Give us the courage to change what we can and the wisdom to know the difference. In Jesus' name.